0: it's scones; it's shortbread. It's a scone. Nice scone.
1: It's Friday, November tenth, twenty seventeen, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, Dutch News contributing editor and Nano prisoner, and with me today are my fellow contributing editor at Dutch News, Gordon Derek, and Dick Lawyer Advocate, and Paul Peters, civil engineering master student and aspiring ikvertrekker.
2: Why am I a ikvertrekker?
1: Because uh, you can't stop tweeting about ikvertrek. But it's such a great show. It, I know. You you do a be on it is fantastic car crash television. You yeah. should you should move to Spain and open up a, a vegan <laughs> Airbnb or <laughs> something. No, move
0: to Slovakia and buy a hotel. Yeah,
2: and or, and, or start a nudist uh, camping <laughs> on. Uh, <laughs> Or Czechoslovakia or something. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Have a few kids, just dump them off at local schools yeah. without any introduction to yeah. what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Buy
0: a house when you don't have a proper lawyer and you haven't seen it. And you only looked at it on the, on the internet. Yes. And all you've yes. signed a contract in yeah. Hungarian and yeah. never yeah. Never, never wondered what, what's in the contract. Yeah. Yes. And then you invite all your friends to stay at your hotel for free and then wonder why you're not making any money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It seems so, like an excellent <laughs> business plan. Uh, and uh, Molly, how's the NaNoWriMo regime going?
1: I'm actually uh, 158 words over my uh, goal, oh, really so it's, it's going well. So, I think I will produce a novel by the end of What the is
2: month. a NaNoWriMo?
1: National Novel Writing Month, where ah. you try to write a novel in the month of November. Mm. So. Okay. You're yeah, trying 50,000 words. 50,000 50 30 000. days. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, I, I'm at about 14 and a half. You'll say so. we're
0: exactly the third of the way through. Yeah. So, you yeah. should be at the 14, yeah. 15, 17,000 word mark. Yeah. Is your novel about a family
2: that's moving to Hungary and starting a <laughs> uh, nudist camping?
1: No, it's about a, a rising Dutch pop star
0: and <laughs> yeah, like yeah. how
1: great his music is.
0: <laughs> Read I love. Yeah. was completely unrealistic. <laughs> yeah.
1: This week, we will get weedsy on taxes, update you on the latest sports news. Spoiler alert, it's not good for men's football. Actually, it is good for men's football.
0: Well, relatively. It's not yeah. good,
1: okay. And tell you the most interesting book club you can pay a lot of money to join. For our discussion, we're going to get even more in the weeds with the Paradise Papers. Our top story this week continues on a discussion from last week about everyone's favourite topic, taxes. Last week, we discussed how during the parliamentary debate, Mark Rutte took some heat for claiming that reducing the dividend tax, the tax paid on company shares, would encourage companies to move to the Netherlands in the wake of Brexit. This week, however, a report released by The Telegraph showed that the country's leading economists and the government's own macroeconomic think tank, the Seipe finds no evidence this is true. Foreign investors currently pay a 15% tax on the profit from their shares held in the Netherlands, but many countries allow investors to deduct this tax off of their tax bills in their home countries. The NRC reported last week that Dutch oil giant Shell had produced a report calling for an end to the dividend tax, arguing that it distorts the market. But economics professor Zwijnen van Weinbergen told The Telegraph that claims about job losses are, quote, total nonsense, while tax expert Kuhn Kamendada told the paper that the move is, quote, unnecessary and expensive. Also, it came out yesterday that Unilever had also been uh, lobbying the Parliament and Margaretta to get rid of the dividend tax. Yeah, and
2: Philips as well and Oxford Nobel. Yeah. Along yes. with Shell.
0: Yeah. So a lot of these companies are, as you, as you just said, threatening to leave the Netherlands or relocate quite possibly to the UK in the wake of Brexit. So it seems like they're using Brexit as a lever to uh, get tax concessions from the Dutch government.
1: Yes, that would be, uh, that seems pretty correct. It seems a bit, um, as Jesse Claver called it, a bit of blackmail because, as we said, that this tax is really only effectively paid by foreign companies. By that, foreign stakeholders. By foreign Stakeholders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, if you're, they're living here in the Netherlands. They do pay this tax, but it's sort of offset by how you calculate your it's income a tax here. Yeah. yeah. So, it, it's really only a benefit to uh, to, to foreigners.
2: So, why did Margrethe uh, bring this up in the debate then?
1: That is a bit unclear. The scrapping of the tax wasn't in any of the party manifestos, and the treasury will lose 1.4 billion euros over it. Mostly, plans to get rid of it seem to be a gift to rich investors and foreign governments. Mm. So, U2 is happy about this. U2 is uh, is quite happy. There was a bit of a speculation that it was. Part of an, an offset for new environmental regulations. And Rutter wasn't really
0: very forthcoming on exactly which companies had been talking to him either, was he? No, he
1: said he talked to this one dude this one time, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but
0: he couldn't possibly tell you because that would um, that would frighten them off, right. or something. Yeah.
1: Um, no, he uh, he had to write a letter to Parliament, and then uh, there's going to supposedly be a debate. I guess that's now scheduled for next week on the subject. But he uh, refused to elaborate beyond Shell and the N.W. Oh, the National Employers Association, because those two had already come out in the press. Now Unilever is also out in in, yeah. in the press as being a, a company that had lobbied for this. Yeah,
0: because there are a few clues aren't there because uh, the two ministers who are sitting in front of parliament were Mark Rutter and the Christian Democrat Finance Minister, Vopke Hoekstra. Of course, Rutter is a former Unilever manager and Hookstra was uh, quite high up in Shell before he joined the government. So yes. that's sort of a bit of a clue as to which companies might have had a line into the government.
1: Right. Well, and also, I mean, there's only so many large multinational corporations <laughs> here, which can narrow down your list of companies that might be lobbying the government on behalf of
2: I them. still have to get used to the name Wopko Hoekstra. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds weird. You, no one will ever get used to
1: that name, Paul. It's going on my list of ridiculous Dutch names.
2: I believe that the list is quite large. Actually, now I'm going to
1: add uh, Zweda because you people are apparently just naming people after uh, countries now. just ran out of other ideas.
0: Breda has become the first city to put forward plans to license cannabis farms after the new government said it wanted to experiment with drug production. The mayor of Breda, Paul Depler, said he wanted to work with Tilburg and other Brabant municipalities to set up a legal supply route for the coffee shops. He also said he was keen to extend the scheme across the border into Flanders, if possible. The coalition's plan is an attempt to solve the long-standing backdoor anomaly whereby coffee shops are allowed to sell small quantities of cannabis over-the-counter, but they have to buy the supplies on the black market.
1: So what other councils or municipalities have shown some interest in participating in this?
0: There's a group of about 25. They met in uh, Utrecht this week, I think, and they include uh, Kauk, which is also in Brabant, but all the way over by the German border. Uh, D66 has already earmarked a large warehouse next to the A73, and call it the Vietfabrik
1: How is that not already the name of like a hipster coffee shop in Rotterdam?
0: <laughs> I'm sure it probably is. Yeah. I'm sure it is, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then speaking of Rotterdam, uh, the mayor of the city Ahmed Abu Taleb, he wants to take control of not just the production but also supply. His idea is that in the long run coffee shops could be shut down and replaced by online delivery or vending machines. So like like the Fabermuurin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so presumably <laughs> there'll be a yeah, yeah, exactly. So presumably there will be a Fabermuurin next to the, um, the Vietmüren so that uh, when you get hungry you can just stock up on your food. <laughs> <doesn't> no, <laughs> it
1: needs to be next to a place that sells a kapsalon think because about. that is hands down the best like high drunk food like, <laughs> that's ever been created props to the dutch for that
2: there was this story about mm. i think it was a, a guy from uzbekistan or something a chef and he visited the netherlands once and he got a kapsalon here and he loved it so much that he went back to uzbekistan introduced it in that country and now it's a big hit in fucking Uzbekistan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is a delicious food concept
2: the end of the year is fast approaching and that means like every year we'll be bombarded by advertisements for health insurance companies on radio, television, internet, newspapers on the side of buses and
0: many other places. And bike saddles as well. Obviously. As well? Yeah. Oh well, yeah, they so, put yeah. it on your, on yeah. your saddle of course.
2: Yeah. Insurer Zorg & Zekerheid announced on Wednesday they lower its price for basic health insurance by 12 euros a month in the coming year. Two of its competitors however announced on the same day they'll increase their monthly fee. Aura's price will grow with 3 euros and and 40 cents to 107 euros and 95 cents a month and to have your basic health insurance covered by deltaloid will cost you 119 euros and 58 cents every month in 2018 and that's an increase of uh, three euros and 75 cents the other large insurers still have to announce their prices for the coming year but they have to make it quick because the deadline is on
0: sunday so it seems like a good yeah you know, seems like next year is a good year to switch if you're with one of these with deltaloid do especially. people switch i never switch i switch every year yeah. are you
1: serious absolutely yeah how do you wh- how who what do you go on to you,
0: It was very easy going to Independent. Well, I'm giving free advertising. Independent right is so owned by
2: Achmea, which is one of the insurers.
0: Then, uh, true, but it, it does do a kind of you know, fairly. You don't actually can comp- you can compare the prices side by side and then decide what you want to.
2: They are relatively independent.
0: They're relatively independent, and also they have so much information that you know, if you, if you just take a couple of hours, you can filter the information that they give you. So yeah. that uh, you know, no, I never changed. I, I never, never changed.
1: changed. No, oh. no, I've never changed. I've
0: switched every year I've, I've been here, I think. Yeah.
1: Jesus. Yeah. I will note that uh, Dutch News is currently promoting a survey by ICAP um, on international the, the experience of internationals with health insurance in the Netherlands. So we encourage our, our listeners to, uh, to take that survey and make their voices heard about their opinions about uh, health care in this country. And um, we will link to that in the liner notes. Yeah. We don't usually have an art news section, but this week there were two stories too good to leave out. First up, something else that didn't get left out, namely a dead grasshopper in Vincent van Gogh's painting The Olive Trees. Curators at the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art in Kansas City said they discovered the insect's corpse during a scan of the work. The grasshopper appears to have already been dead when it got stuck in the paint. Van Gogh apparently had a bit of a problem with insects in his work. In a letter to his brother in 1885, he complains of having to remove, quote, a few hundred flies from four of his works. And in other art world news, the former director of the Stadelic Museum, Beatrix Ruff, spoke out for the first time since she stepped down as its director. She gave an interview to the New York Times, offering her side of the story which led to her resignation. As we reported a few weeks ago, Ruff was criticized for operating a company doing art consulting which had turned a profit of half a million euros in 2015. According to Ruff, however, most of that money was earned in 2014 as part of a one-time 1 million Swiss franc bonus as part of the completion of a project that she had finished before she took over at the Stadelic. She also claims that the museum's board of directors were aware of her company and the bonus.
0: So she filled in all her bonuses and submitted them on time. And, and that is apparently what Alice got do- her in trouble. Alice is door counting, so it's completely irreproachable.
2: Still, she had to go, though. Yeah. So yeah.
0: The worst kept secret in Dutch football was confirmed this week as Dick Advocaat announced he was stepping down as national team coach after this month's two friendly international games. Advocat had planned to announce his departure after next Tuesday night's friendly match against Romania, but after playing cat and mouse for the Dutch press for weeks about his future, he let the cat out of the bag when he arrived in Scotland this week for the first game and told reporters at the airport he would not be renewing his contract in December. The frontrunner to take over is Ronald Koeman, who said recently he sees managing the national team as, quote, an ideal continuation of my career – Kuman is available after being sacked by Everton for squandering 140 million pounds of transfer money and only winning two out of 11 matches. So he's he's the best <laughs> guy. To, uh, exactly, he's perfectly suited to, yeah. to take over the job of national team manager. Yeah, and <laughs> this
2: kind of mouse game that was that Dick Fabregas was playing. Uh, uh, what exactly happened? He said one day that he was leaving, uh, and the other day he said he wasn't going to leave. He said
0: for, he was saying for weeks he's going to make his decision that, uh, after the two games, and he's not saying anything before that time. And then uh, and then he said, I think as he was walking to to the airport and speaking to Scott. Scottish reporters oh yeah uh, I've only got two games left as manager and then after that he still tried to keep the game going because he was talking to the at the press conference and they said oh so you're leaving then he said oh well maybe not necessarily you know uh, I'm uh, nothing's confirmed until you know, my contract ends in uh, in December and um, yeah we, we'll see then but he he, he kind of um, yeah he kind of given the game away so well, what no.
1: actually happened in the uh, match against Scotland yeah I think we should Sc- Scottish
0: guy we should draw a veil over that I think it was, <laughs> it was um, well the, the Dutch won 1-0 but it was a, a terrible game uh, there were makeshift teams on both sides, um, and both both teams are managed by people who are not going to be in the job next month. No one care anymore. No one care. More. The only moment of quality was Memphis Depay's goal just before half time, which is quite a nice little move. But the game was really summed up by the fact they had to be stopped twice in the first five minutes because of a burst bull. What? Yeah, the ball burst, so they had to kick it off the pitch and get a new one, and then that ball burst as well and they had to replace that one, and I think it was just the ball trying to stage a kind of silent protest uh, <laughs> in the, of the game, and but they didn't take the hint, they carried on playing um, it, there were there were a total of 96 Dutch fans in the stadium. Um, 96. Well, it, yes, but bear in mind wow. the, the game was played up in Aberdeen, where um, lots of Dutch people are working for, uh, 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 presently working for Shell, but they're probably about to leave. <laughs> so um, <laughs> if yeah. they play the game next year, there would be nobody.
2: Yeah, I think Dick Offerkath was just watching his phone and opened uh, the Rabobank app on his phone, <laughs> saw that the money from the KMVB was transferred, and then he said, "Well, I'm out bye.
1: <laughs> Does this mean this is the last time I get to say? Dick lawyer on this podcast.
0: Uh, well, they're playing again next week. So, okay, so we, get, we at least get one more week. You get one more of week if, uh, you can ring another week out of your dick lawyer.
1: I will <laughs> ring another week out of the dick. <laughs>
2: The International Philosophy School will give a week-long course on Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler in December. The book in which Hitler outlines his ideas about Jews and Germany's place in the world was originally published in 1925 and was banned in the Netherlands after World War II. Prominent historians will teach students about the meaning and content of the book in preparation of a new translation that will be published next year and the public debate that will inevitably take place. The Dutch Centre for Information and Documentation on Israel supports the winter course and they say in a statement that they are in favour of a good academic translation of Mein Kampf.
0: So, given that the book is banned in this country, how how have we got to the point where there's a new translation coming out?
2: Uh, well, as I said, Mein Kampf had been banned in the Netherlands since the war. Uh, it was illegal to sell the book, but last year an anti carrion bookstore in Amsterdam was cleared from uh, disseminating hatred by the Supreme Court after they put a number of copies of Adolf Hitler's book on sale. Uh, the judgment was seen as uh, paving the way to publish uh, a Version of the book with extensive historical and critical commentary, uh, and that's similar to what happened in Germany last year. Uh, the German uh, annotated version became uh, an instant bestseller. Then,
0: so it's okay to publish Mein Kampf as long as you include lots of notes saying it's a very bad book. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. exactly, as, because people don't know about the No, I wouldn't be able to tell. Yeah,
1: out of curiosity. If it became a bestseller in Germany, who earned the royalties? Uh,
2: The the German state. Oh, okay. Yeah, because they owned the... um, The copyright. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Interesting. So, Paul, I hear this is uh, not going to be an inexpensive course to take.
2: No, not at all. The course will cost you uh, 1,000 euros, and it is expected to attract uh, several dozens of participants, including Molly Quell. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The organization assures, however, that the course uh, will not be a Hitler promotion, and uh, neo-Nazis are specifically excluded from participation. So, so I can't. T- no, you so can't. You can't no. no,
0: no. But if you want to sponsor Molly's uh, 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 participation in the uh, in the Hitler course, and I will include a link uh, to line notes. Uh,
1: if if the Dutch news Zero listeners nine, nine, nine. If the Dutch <laughs> news listeners come up with a thousand euros for me to take this course, I will go. I will attend, and I will live tweet. We'll be discussing the Paradise Papers after this word from our sponsors.
2: AXIS is an independent, not-for-profit organization which has been helping internationals successfully settle in the Netherlands for the past 30 years. AXIS is run entirely by a team of highly skilled, motivated and professional volunteers who have themselves been experts. Their vision is to provide essential, comprehensive and unique services nationally through the expertise and experience of their volunteer expatriate community. You can find out more about Access and the services they offer at the website www.access-nl.org. If you are interested in reaching an international audience with your product or service, you can email to podcasts at dutchnews.nl for our
0: competitive advertising rates.
1: First it was the Pentagon Papers, then it was the Panama Papers, now it's the Paradise Papers. Perhaps the platypus papers are next. In the meantime, journalists are busy sifting through the 13.4 million confidential documents related to offshore investing, which were leaked to a German newspaper last week. Among those included in the leak were the Queen of England and US Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. And of course, it turns out there were some juicy details with connections to the Netherlands.
2: So uh, can you tell us what Dutch companies were caught up uh, in this uh, paradise paper scandal?
1: Yeah, um, two of the big ones that were mentioned were Nike uh, and Procter & Gamble. How um, is that a Dutch company? Both. Of of them have their European mm. headquarters here. Oh, so every
0: time you buy a pair of Nike shoes, it is rooted through the Netherlands. Right? <laughs> Actually,
1: yeah. first it's rooted through Bermuda mm. because Nike slashed its tax obligations by using a cons- tax construction first through Bermuda and then through the Netherlands. Procter and Gamble, which is the company that makes like Gillette razors and Oral-B toothpaste amongst other things, also got a sweetened deal according to the papers by shifting income through the Cayman Islands and then the Netherlands. Um, and You
2: too? How is you too involved in this? Because right, Bono's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: yeah, uh, Bono who doesn't who ha, Who also has a connection to the Netherlands because his company is, is headquartered yeah. here or him as a person is headquartered here yeah, yeah and he
2: pretended he was really shocked by all this yeah and he, he
1: said he that he was he, about it. yeah and he was fine with all this coming out and he admires transparency but yeah. I'm sure he also has some sort of tax scheme where it's being rooted through some sort but he's of been doing it for,
0: he's been doing it for years yeah, and everyone knows he's been doing it for years and yeah. it, it's partly because um, there's no tax on royalties in right. the Netherlands as well yeah. so because he's got his company based here he doesn't pay right. any taxes right. on, his, yeah. on U2's rather right. substantial royalties Yeah, it's a secret that uh, they are based here
1: like yeah. Ikea which like is also IKEA. based yeah. here, yeah. and is a not-for-profit organization. Yeah, it has this really weird. Uh, it's a non-profit organization. It's a non-profit organization. Oh, wow. So IKEA, I- IKEA is owned by a, a Stichting, a, a not-for-profit organization, and they basically have this very com- convoluted, like corporate ownership structure in an effort to dodge taxes. And part of that is headquarter. Their headquarters are here in Delft. You think it's a Swedish company? It's not. It's headquartered here um, because the Netherlands has a lower corporate tax rate than yeah. Sweden does.
0: Yeah, and the other popular thing to do is what Nike have done is. That they, they, they wrap up their corporate structure in a, in a Dutch construction called a CFA, yeah, a Communitaire Finantschap. Yeah, and it's also because a Seifei is not taxed as uh, an entity in the Netherlands because the Dutch, um, the way it's set up legally is they say it's tax, it's supposedly tax transparent. It's a great irony of it. So therefore, the constituent Parts partners within are supposed to pay tax, but um, any other any f- any um, foreign government will look at it and say, ah, oh, that's a Dutch registered company, therefore they pay their tax in Netherlands. What happens is there's this big arm pass basically where yeah. you know the two both sides basically say that tax should be paid in the other opposite jurisdiction, and therefore the company ends up paying nothing. These yeah. constructions
1: yeah. don't exist in other European countries. No, so it's, it's a uniquely Dutch thing. Yeah, which is why that there's a whole lot of these uh, Breva bus, these letterbox companies mm. here is for this exact tax construction. Yeah, and
2: now uh, how about the cayman islands
1: so yeah it's funny because this notion that the tax havens are all quote offshore um which sort of refers to like somewhere in the caribbean we are below
2: shore i guess yeah Yeah. below shore
1: (laughs) Um, which was true at one point, but it's not any longer. Uh, lots of countries have tax systems that are advantageous compared to others. I think it was Vox or the Atlantic, we linked to it in the liner notes, had a really good breakdown of uh, sort of, get, that gets very weedsy about all of these kinds of things. But for example, um, Canada has no estate tax, well the U.S. does, but the U.S. has lower rates of income tax compared to France. So if you're a rich person who wants your rich children to inherit a big estate, it there are Americans who give up their American citizenship for Canadian citizenship to dodge the inheritance tax. And um, to get health insurance. And to get health and to not have to live in the US, also that. But the Netherlands, you know, for example, has a lower corporate tax rate, which is why many large companies choose to have their headquarters in this country, like we uh like we just said. And so a lot of them only have like letter boxes, quote unquote, meaning that they just sort of have like a you know, an office maybe with a receptionist yeah. here, but but that allows them to, to take advantage of these lower income. Yeah, tax and then rates. someone of
2: that company has to come to the brief abyss. Uh, uh, yeah. a letterbox firm once a year have yeah. to go there buy a sandwich have the bonneture to right. prove that mm-hmm. he is in the Netherlands and uh, yeah. then you can go they
0: employ one people or a staff of so two yeah. or three skeleton staff just to run a very small office yeah. and to uh, water to, a plant or something And to, yeah, to water the plants occasionally and to answer the phones water one of the plastic yeah. plants yeah, yeah and yeah. often it's kind of layered so that within your kind of safe construction you've got a couple of um, the, the partners within the safe a are then actually a letterbox firm and that puts more uh, steps between uh, your legal entity and where you actually do your make your goods and uh, do your sales
1: yeah the state in the u.s. where my parents live actually delaware has a similar corporate tax construction and like more than half of all of the Fortune 500 companies in the world have their US headquarters in Delaware, even though Delaware is a terrible place and no one wants to live there. But they just have office parks of like these sort of like letterbox firms where they basically have like a secretary who answers the phones and like gets the mail. And that's literally all this person does just so that they can take advantage of this this corporate tax, this the fact that there's no corporate ta- income tax in, in the state of Delaware.
0: Yeah, that was another thing that came out of, I think, the Panama Papers, actually, that, that about seven in 10 of the Fortune 500 companies have a com- uh, have um, some kind of uh, company company registered in, in in the Netherlands for yeah basically for tax purposes yeah. is it is about the most popular tax haven yeah
1: well we've seen it also with uh in ireland as well right so apple's european headquarters are in ireland and they have this similar construction because basically like this subs the subsidy of apple owns all of the proprietary information so every time you buy a macbook or whatever they you have to pay some money for the for use of the software or the hardware or the logo or the whatever and all of that money is rooted through ireland which has a very low corporate income tax rate and of course the european union a few years ago sort of cited ireland and said no, you have to claim back this taxes and mm. make sure your taxes are fair and in line with the rest of the European Union. Um, and Ireland was like, no, nah, we really don't want all this money from uh, from Apple. But <laughs> Th- that's fine.
0: Yeah, but the Dutch government did exactly the same thing with Starbucks. Yeah, with Starbucks. So they, Starbucks. yeah The EU said, said to them, you have to claim all this back tax from Starbucks because you know, they haven't been paying enough corporation tax. And the, du- the Dutch said, no, thanks, yeah. because we, we like having Starbucks here more than we like uh, taking their tax <laughs> taking money. Taking their tax money. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, it's very difficult then to to sort of close these loopholes because, of course, you know, all of these countries have an incentive. I mean... Even if you're collecting a very low rate of tax on these letterbox firms, it's still some tax that you know is coming into your to your country for for very little offset, right? Mm. I mean, there's just not a whole lot of infrastructure or you know government spending, you know education systems, all these kinds of things that the governments provide that are that are being used by these letterbox companies. And you know, there's lots of countries in the world that can make these situations very advantageous. Mm. So I think it's very difficult for the Dutch tax authorities to be able to close a lot of these loopholes because essentially if they close them here they're just going to go somewhere else. But so. is it
2: desirable to close these loopholes? Don't we want these companies to be here? Yeah
1: but I, I think it's desirable to close the loopholes if you were all working together in conjunction with all of these other countries because I think it's you know the amount of tax that companies like Apple and Starbucks and Nike and stuff are dodging paying these giant multinational corporations that are not paying billions of euros in tax every year I think is you know a bit of a travesty right like these you know their CEOs and stuff are making millions and millions of euros or millions and millions of dollars and they're doing quite well for themselves and their shareholders are doing quite well for themselves and they should be paying a fair amount of tax, right? I mean, if you're a small company, you know, Dutch News pays a a higher percentage in in taxes on its earnings than Nike does because, of course, you know, there's not an incentive to set up a multinational (laughs) conglomerate and headquarter it in the... Cayman Islands. That being said, it's really difficult to do this unless you're going to kind of get together and and agree, as we saw with this European Union, because the European Union says no Ireland, no Netherlands. You have to collect this tax, and they're like, "Nah, we're not interested."
0: There's there's been a big discussion this week as well that the tax office uh, or the Dutch tax office has been very kind of lax or secretive about the way it does um, does these deals with companies. Often it does advance deals where a company will say we want to relocate to the Netherlands. They sort of sit down, literally, with a tax advisor and they sort of thresh out a deal on how much tax they're actually going to pay when when they're Based here, it turns out the tax office hasn't really been following its own procedures. So they're, uh, they're now going to go back and review about four thousand these tax deals, wow. which, by and large, the ministers knew nothing about. And even when you know Eric Wiebes was actually in the, you know, the finance minister was actually in the room with, um, uh, with the finance advisors they, they, they kept quiet about it. I think there's been a real, um, a real kind of uh, history of a kind of don't ask, don't tell culture about um, Dutch taxation, where the tax office just say to the government, leave us alone. We're collecting all this money for you. Don't uh, you know? <laughs> don't ask too many questions about yeah. how. We do it. Just be glad <laughs> you, glad you just got it trust us. Yeah. yeah, just trust us with it. I mean, think it, it's slowly turning out. I think that culture is slowly changing, but it is kind of turning around an oil tanker. They're used to having a lot of autonomy and, uh, but it's being left alone to do their own thing. And it's only now that these details are coming out about exactly how far they're prepared to go or how far they're prepared to bend to facilitate companies that want to dodge tax. That and people are getting outraged by it. That the government are feeling their hands forced and they have to demand a bit more accountability.
1: Yeah, and I do think that, like to Paul's point, that there is a bit of an incentive to. To not make this tax burden more difficult because of course, you know, these companies do headquarter here, right? So, I mean, Ikea, like we mentioned, is headquartered here in Delft. They have something like 500 employees, not in the the store, but in their sort of corporate offices. You know, the Nike campus is this huge sprawling 22 building complex with 1400 employees. Like, you know, this is, you know, it's good. It, it, it's prestigious for the Netherlands to have these big companies here. It brings in a lot of like high paying, you know, sort of white collar jobs. Those people pay income tax You know they sort of buy things and participate in the economy, and so I think it is some of these things. It is a bit difficult to tell exactly what the benefit to the Netherlands is versus what the costs are, right? I mean, I think it's the the sort of letterbox companies is a bit more obvious because they tend to pay a very low rate or no rate of tax, but they're also not really like taking much out of the country. But it's seen as a bit shady, right? So it's bad for the the reputation. Whereas like some of the other companies that are headquartered here, I mean, they you know IKEA hires people. Like I've done work for IKEA. Ikea that's here in Delft. I know lots of people that have. I mean, they are, you know, a big multinational employer and lots of people move here to go to that. Um, When I worked at the American school, they had all the Ikea... Kids and so there was like every Swedish holiday was always celebrated because there was this huge chunk of <laughs> Swedish children that were there, yeah. you know. And those people, you know, they participate and they buy cars and they buy houses and they pay taxes and they eat at restaurants and stuff. So I think it's very easy to sort of criticize these tax haven constructions, but it's it's very difficult to figure out exactly what government should do to make should they make deals sweeter for companies that are looking to leave, you know, for example, London after Brexit to headquarter here, um, and like where the balance is between allowing. companies companies like IKEA or Nike to reduce their tax burden versus what you're going to get in having, you know, these jobs and, th- and that kind of stuff. here. Yeah,
0: right. So they're kind of jostling to try to attract companies to move here. But and if you look at the Nike structure, I mean, they've used this Dutch CV construction we talked about to reduce their total tax uh, burden to about down to about, I think, sort of 13%, something like that. Uh, there's a Süddeutscheitung we're, we're reporting. But most of their actual trade is done, uh, or they do much more trade in Germany, say, than in the Netherlands. But right. all that trade in Germany is rooted through the Netherlands. And therefore, they don't pay tax in yeah. Germany which then becomes a problem for Germany and that's not such a problem on the face of it in a, company like a country like Germany which is very strong and doing it economically well but you have a situation where that applies to another country like for example I think Belgium, uh, Belgium or, or, or Portugal I think about sort of um, huge numbers of large Portuguese companies were registered in the Netherlands and therefore paid their taxes in the Netherlands not in Portugal and that meant that they weren't paying any money into the Portuguese tax system and then when a crash comes along Portugal doesn't have any money to spend on its infrastructure and on its public services because the Netherlands facilitated this kind of tax evasion within the eurozone at which point of course... Course. Portugal then goes to the European Union says we need to borrow more money and the countries that have to pay up are countries like the Netherlands yeah. who then yeah. complain about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is, so uh, if you look at the wider picture, you can yeah. see where the damage is done yeah. and why it's not actually necessarily beneficial in the long term. Yeah,
1: or, or necessarily <laughs> beneficial uh, for the countries that really like need it. And I also think that there's like a fairness question, right? You hear countries, you know, I pay much more than 13% of my income in taxes yeah. to the Dutch government and to the American government. And, you know, it makes, it kind of rankles you a little bit to hear that nike is only paying 13 percent, right like this is a yeah, it billion seems very unfair. it seems yeah. extremely unfair and so like i think that this also gets people sort of heckles up a little bit because you're like
2: yeah it also attributes to the optics that the dutch government is there for big international multinational companies especially when you take the uh, dividend taxes uh, into account as well uh, that the uh, the dutch government favors that co- that kind of companies rather than the smaller Dutch companies or the,
1: the the common, common Dutchman,
2: man. Dutch yeah, just the
0: the Yeah, and it is yeah this is kind of a line of uh, the opposition uh, look like they're going to be taking the course of this government, aren't they? That uh, this is a right wing government that is um really there for business rather than for taxpayers.
2: Yeah, and it, it's it's immoral, right? The general conception is that it is immoral to have a uh, a briefebus firma and to uh, avoid taxes, but it's not illegal. No. Yeah. And uh, that's w- that's where the problem is.
0: So it really comes down to the government to close these loopholes if yeah, to. to. It is, it is yeah, to all governments. Yeah, yeah, to all governments, exactly, yeah. But uh, of course, governments aren't working together. They're competing with each other to attract these businesses to their shores. So. Yeah, this
1: happens quite a bit in the, the US because state governments compete on this level and you can hear some really crazy stories about companies that have switched back and forth across, you know, these towns where the, the state line runs right down the middle that they keep switching back and forth in an effort to, like, take advantage of more and more tax loopholes that the governments are willing to provide. Um, and it it's it seems to be, a you know, there's kind of a bit of an industry around this. But I think it's really <laughs> difficult for governments to uh, to enforce these rules unless they're going to be able to do it all across the board. And so that's, I think, where the challenge comes in. Yeah. I do think that uh, we're going to be seeing a lot of pushback against these sort of tax constructions, particularly because the Paradise Papers and this dividend blasting thing have kind of hit at the same time. So it's uh, it's really made it's a, a lot of storm. headlines. It's Is a bit it, yeah. of a perfect storm. So I think we'll see some pushback against that.
0: Yeah, maybe in the short term. In the long term, yeah. of course, you know, we're, in, we're, we're getting towards the kind of Brexit deadline. Line, and there's a lot of uh, opportunity for uh, or a lot of companies who are thinking very hard about where they want to be located after the UK leaves the European Union. And I think yeah, that's a they very. They to pick a side. They have to pick a side, and also I think, you know, as you've seen, as you know, with companies like Shell and New have said very clearly, you know, we're going to decide in the next few months where we're based and we're going to look very carefully at, uh, you know, what uh, what different tax regimes are available. And yeah. That, well, it, that, that puts kind of pressure on governments. It's very hard to resist.
2: Yeah. When Brexit happened, everyone <laughs> thought all the companies that are located in. in London or in the UK at all, they would move to Europe instantly. But we've we've seen now that that's not entirely the case and that there are even
0: companies that are considering to move to the UK. Yeah, depending on what it does with its its corporation tax. Yeah, well, but it
1: also depends on other things because so things like pharmaceutical companies, right? Once the UK leaves the EU, their pharmaceutical products have to be tested in the European Union. There's a rule about this, right? So if you're a pharmaceutical company that's based in the UK, you basically now have to have testing facilities in both the UK if you want to sell in the UK market and in the European Union. So, like, you know, there are some of these companies, I mean, like, you know, Astro Nobel and stuff like that, you know, they they may want to, they may have to have, you know, now two headquarters because they're going to have to have a second one in London, which is just going to drive up the prices of medicine for the, the, the end consumer, yeah. which is, a, you know, not a good situation. Yeah.
0: And financial companies have this thing called passporting where if, you, if you're if you based in, the if you want to do business in euros, you have to be based, you have to have a base in the European Union. Right. Otherwise, you, you don't get an automatic license to do business business, and it's much more difficult and and costly. So therefore, you know, in all these these companies, of course, London is currently the financial centre of the EU, Right. um, and all these companies now have to think very hard about uh, the consequences of of, of Brexit. So yeah, so that's the thing where it's not just about the tax, it's also just about the regulations of how you do your business.
1: That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email at podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to our channel and rate the podcast. This helps new listeners find us, and please share the podcast with your own network. My thanks to Gordon Derrick and Paul Paters, I'm Molly Quell, and we will unfortunately be back next week.